our text this morning is Luke 1, the verses 26 to 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered here, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Christmas season is upon us once again. In the coming weeks, we will reflect on God's grace in sending his Son into this world. It is important for us to do so, for the birth of Jesus Christ happened in fulfillment of God's promises made to his people through many generations in the Old Covenant. They longed with eager expectation for the coming of the Messiah. They longed for someone to deliver them from out of the darkness in which they lived. They longed for someone to give them freedom, even though they did not fully understand from what they needed deliverance. Today, Christmas gets celebrated in a very superficial way in our society. The focus of our society tends to be on the glitter and glamour of lights and parties and presents. Our society tries to sell the message Tis the season to be jolly. Yet increasingly, our society is becoming a dark place for many around us. It's a place where many live in bondage to sin and Satan. People need to hear the good news of salvation, that God sent his Son to save us from our sins, that Jesus came to bring light and life, to all who believe in him. 
This morning and in the coming weeks, we'll focus our attention on how the birth of Jesus Christ was foretold and what effect this had on those who heard the glad tidings. We will consider the announcement the angel Gabriel made to the Virgin Mary about how she would be with child and give birth to a son. Gabriel's words teach us much about who this baby was and what his function would be. They provide comfort and joy. Mary's faithful response teaches us about how we too are to embrace the gospel message in faith so that we too may share in the joy and peace that comes from knowing Jesus as our Savior and Lord. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. The angel Gabriel announces to the Virgin Mary that she will give birth to Jesus. We'll consider a favored mother, a unique son, and a living faith. Our text begins by stating that it was in the sixth month that God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. The sixth month of what? Well, from the story that comes before our text, we see it was the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Six months earlier, God had sent Gabriel to make a different announcement to Zechariah while serving in the temple in Jerusalem. He told Zechariah that in their old age, he and his wife Elizabeth would have a son. He would be great in the sight of the Lord. He would serve as the herald of the coming king. We know that Zechariah did not respond to this announcement in faith. He asked, how shall I know this? Zechariah doubted because he was an old man and his wife was well advanced in age. To confirm his message, Gabriel told Zechariah, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. As confirmation, Gabriel told Zechariah he would not be able to speak until the day when these things took place. Now, six months later, the angel Gabriel is sent to make another birth announcement. This time he's not sent to Jerusalem, the capital city, where the Lord's temple was. Instead, he was sent to an obscure town called Nazareth in Galilee. Luke tells us that Gabriel was sent to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and that the virgin's name was Mary. Gabriel came to bring Mary a message that would be even harder for her to believe. Before Gabriel brings his message, he greets Mary. He said to her, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. When Gabriel appeared to Zechariah, he was startled and gripped with fear. Yet Mary does not appear to be frightened by the angel's visitation. Instead, she was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what kind of greeting this might be. Mary found this a strange and perplexing way for an angel to greet a young woman like her. Mary was young, poor, likely uneducated, and living in a small country town far from the centers of power. 
From a human perspective, she was insignificant, a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. And yet that's precisely the point. Mary's lowly estate was part of God's plan. By choosing Mary, God was beginning to show what humiliation his son would have to endure for the salvation of sinners. It's striking to see how the angel Gabriel addresses Mary in exalted terms. He says, greetings, O favored one. When the church father Jerome translated this greeting into the Latin version of the Bible, he said that Mary was full of grace. The Roman Catholic Church has distorted this to mean that Mary is full of grace and thus in a position to dispense grace. She is prayed to as a mediator between God and man. In 1854, Pope Pius IX declared the doctrine of immaculate conception, the teaching that from the moment of her conception, Mary was kept from the stain of original sin. And thus, Mary is held up to Roman Catholics as an object of worship. Yeah, this is a wrong interpretation of the words of our text. If Luke wanted to convey that Mary was full of grace, he could have used the phrase he used in Acts 6, verse 8, to describe how Stephen was full of God's grace. Luke doesn't say that. When Luke describes Mary as being favored by God, the word used is a passive verb, not an active one. Mary is not a dispenser of grace, but rather a recipient of God's favor. Yet we need to take note of the fact that Mary was given the greatest honor that any woman has ever been given. God chose her to be the mother of his son. Gabriel adds the words, the Lord is with you. It's no wonder that Mary is troubled by the angel's words. Being addressed in exalted terms and told that the Lord was with her implies that, like the great men of the Old Testament, she had been chosen by God and was being empowered to serve him in some special task. Mary's humility shines through. Who was she? that the Lord would come and speak to her in this way? How was she highly favored? What calling did the Lord have in mind for her? Gabriel tries to put Mary's fears to rest. He said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Gabriel goes on to announce, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Thus Gabriel announces the birth of the coming Messiah. For centuries, God's people had been waiting and praying and hoping for the Messiah's birth. To Zechariah, the joyful news was given that the Messiah was finally coming, that his son, John the Baptist, will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. 
Now to Mary, the angel announces that she's been chosen by God to serve as the mother of this coming king. We need to recognize, beloved, that God's people experienced dark days. They did not have their own king ruling over them. They were under the dominion of the hated Romans. The high priestly family had been corrupted and was not faithful in its priestly duties. God had not spoken to his people by any means for hundreds of years. No prophets had arisen to proclaim the word of the Lord. God's people struggled with difficult questions. Where was the Lord when they needed him? Had God forgotten about them? What had happened to his covenant promises about the Messiah who was to come? And now the Lord was at work again, causing first a herald of the Messiah and then his, only dearly, and then his own dearly loved son to be conceived and born so that Christ could shine as a light in the dark world of those days. Gabriel's message to Mary was that she was greatly favored among women. She'd been chosen by God to be the mother of the promised king. She was charged to name him Jesus, which means Savior. Through Mary, the Lord would cause his son to sit on the throne and to reign over the house of Jacob forever. Because of the Roman Catholic era of worshiping Mary and praying to her, we've often shied away from giving Mary the honor due to her. Yet we should note that our text says that this humble woman from Nazareth was favored by God. Only one woman out of the countless billions that make up the human race could be the means by which God would come in human flesh. The Virgin Mary had the privilege of being that one. Remember, beloved, that it was by one woman that sin and death were brought into the world at the beginning. Eve took of the forbidden fruit and ate, and by doing so, she brought mankind under God's condemnation. It's also by the childbearing of one woman that life and immortality were brought to light when Christ was born. It's no wonder Mary is called favored and blessed, for it's through the birth of her son that God would bring us forgiveness for our sins and everlasting life. Yet Mary's flesh and blood relationship with the Lord Jesus is not the most important thing. There is a relationship much closer than that of flesh and blood, and one which is much more vital for a living relationship with God. During his ministry, Jesus taught us who his real family is. He said, whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Later in his ministry, a woman said to Jesus, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. Jesus responded, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. What Jesus is teaching us is that we can have an intimate relationship with him. 
You don't need to be a blood relative to be close to Christ. His blessings and His favor are for all who turn to Him in faith. They are for all who believe that Jesus came into this world to save us from our sins. It is by faith and by faith alone that we can enter into fellowship with God through the mediating work of His Son. If we want to share in the joy of the Christmas season, we need to find our comfort and our hope in the Savior, Jesus Christ. This brings us to our second point, and it will consider Gabriel's announcement about a unique son. After announcing that the Virgin Mary would give birth to a son and name him Jesus, Gabriel speaks further about who this child would be. He says, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The first thing we should note is that Mary's son would be great. Gabriel said the same thing about John the Baptist. John's greatness would come from the ever-present power of the indwelling Spirit. It's through the power of the Spirit of God that John would serve as a mighty herald of the coming King. Yet Jesus' greatness is of a different magnitude. Gabriel says he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Most High was a title given to Almighty God. Jesus' greatness stems from the fact that he was God's own Son. There are many children in God's family. But except for one, they're all adopted children. Jesus alone is the eternal, the natural Son of God. In our text, the angel Gabriel gives further evidence to show that Jesus was the promised Messiah. Gabriel announces, And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. These words in our text are a fulfillment of the prophecy spoken to David in 2 Samuel 7. 2 Samuel 7 is the passage in which David expressed his desire to build a house for the Lord to dwell among his people. God was pleased with David, and he promised to build him a house. He told David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. These words obviously applied in the first place to David's son Solomon, who built the temple and established a kingdom of peace in Israel. Yet the Lord's prophecy to David did not end there. The Lord promised he would never take his steadfast love away from David's house as he did from Saul. The Lord said, Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. With these words, the Lord made a glorious promise to David that one of his sons in the generations to come would serve as the Messiah and rule eternally over the people of God. There are three close parallels between 2 Samuel 7 and the words of our text. In 2 Samuel 7, verse 12, the Lord promises that one of David's offspring would succeed him as king. 
In our text, Gabriel announces that Jesus would be given the throne of his father David. In 2 Samuel 7, 14, God says of this Davidic king, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. In our text, Jesus is called the Son of the Most High. In 2 Samuel 7, 16, the Lord says that the throne of David's kingdom would be established forever. Our text says that Jesus will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Thus we see that Jesus was a unique son. On the one hand, he was Mary's son. Mary herself was of the lineage of David. Yet that's not all. She was engaged to be married to Joseph. Although Joseph was not Jesus' biological father, Jesus was born under his name. Our text emphasizes this when it notes that Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, a descendant of David. Thus Jesus would come as a descendant of David's. He would serve as the promised Messiah. Yet that's not all. Jesus was also the son of the Most High God. Our text does not only state this, it also explains how Jesus' birth would come about. When Gabriel finished announcing the coming of the Messiah to Mary, she asked, How will this be, since I am a virgin? Gabriel explained, The the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. It was by the power of God Most High overshadowing Mary that she would conceive and give birth to a son. Jesus was not born in the normal way. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. That is a great miracle indeed. God brought it about to fulfill his promises made to David so that his great son could come as Israel's promised Messiah to bring deliverance for God's oppressed people, to reign eternally on the throne, to sit at God's right hand, the place of the highest dominion and of supreme power, to be king of kings and lord of lords, reigning over all things, for the sake of his church. In telling the story of the angel and his message that the Messiah is coming, the gospel writer Luke wants his audience to to answer a basic question. Is Jesus your Lord? And are you willing to submit to his rule? This was a loaded question for Luke's audience. Within the Roman Empire, everyone knew that Caesar claimed for himself the title Savior of the World. He also maintained his divinity, claiming to be a son of the gods. That's why he called himself Augustus, meaning exalted one. Caesar demanded all acknowledge him as ruler and king. Yet the angel has announced that Mary's son is the Savior, son of the Most High God and King. 
Luke's audience now had to make a decision. Who is the real Savior, Caesar or Jesus? Who is the divine Son of God, Caesar or Jesus? Who is truly King of the world, Caesar or Jesus? We too are faced with the same question. Who, beloved, is your Savior, your God, your King? To put it more bluntly, who do you serve? Who or what do we look for? Do we work for? Do we live for? It's so easy to look out for ourselves, to work to satisfy our own desires, to live selfish lives. Our sinful hearts constantly prompt us to look out for number one, for me, myself, and I. So often we think we're lords and masters of our own life, that we can do as we please. We're inclined to live for our money and possessions, for pleasure, for what we can get out of this life. Are you, beloved, willing to truly submit your hearts and lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? A heartfelt response to the gospel involves more than just saying you believe in Jesus as your Savior. Jesus said that we are blessed if we hear the word of God and keep it. He taught that we are his mother and brother and sister if we do God's will. Part of being, God, be, being part of God's family means that we recognize Jesus as our Lord. Beloved, do you live under his kingship, serving him in what you say and do? Are you willing to deny your own desires and do what God has commanded in his word? Remember Jesus' words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Faith involves not just believing in Jesus as your Savior, but also in submitting to him as Lord. This brings us to our final point, a living faith. We spoke earlier about how Zechariah struggled with the message Gabriel brought, about how he and Elizabeth would have a son in their old age. Zechariah did not respond in faith. He doubted. He asked the angel, how shall I know this? Now Mary is faced with an announcement that would be even harder to believe that she, as a virgin, was going to give birth to God's own son. How would she respond to this message? To help Mary believe that God would accomplish a great miracle through her, the angel told her about her relative, Elizabeth. He said that Elizabeth was going to have a child in her old age. From a human perspective, that was not possible. Yet the angel explained Nothing will be impossible with God. By these words, the Lord wanted to remind Mary of Abraham and Sarah. Sarah doubted that she could conceive in her old age. But the Lord asked her, 
Is anything too hard for the Lord? Even if Mary believed that God could cause her to conceive and give birth to his son, it does not mean that the road ahead for Mary was an easy one. Mary was unmarried, and yet she was going to give birth to a son. To have a child out of wedlock in those days was something that was severely frowned upon. It was true that she was engaged to Joseph, but his reaction to her pregnancy could be expected to be quite strong. We know from Matthew's Gospel that Joseph, being a righteous man, did not want to expose her to public disgrace and resolved to divorce her quietly. Mary thus faced extremely difficult circumstances. She knows that people will have a difficult time believing her claim to be pregnant by the Spirit of God. She knows that it's possible that Joseph would leave her. She knows that her friends and neighbors would probably brand her as an adulteress. She knows that she would likely face mockery and ridicule, that according to the law, she could be stoned to death for adultery. Mary faced a life without a husband to support her. And in those days, there was no government social support. She faced a difficult future as the mother of Jesus. Yet note Mary's faith response. She said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. In faith, Mary makes a profound statement here. She says that she is the Lord's slave. In Mary's day, a slave was reckoned to be less than human. By law, a slave was classified as a piece of property. Slaves had no rights. The rights of a master over a slave were absolute, and he could do with her whatever he wanted. Thus, we see that Mary adopts the status and the attitude of a slave. A slave's calling in life was to serve his or her master. Slaves had no other purpose. A slave had to devote 100% of her time, energy, gifts, and talents to her master's service. Slaves were required to be obedient. A good slave served well by heeding the words of her master and doing what he said. And so we see that Mary was devoting herself to the Lord's service. She was expressing her willingness to follow the Lord's leading, to live before him in obedience. Besides saying, I'm the Lord's servant, Mary adds, let it be done to me according to your word. Is this resignation on Mary's part? Is she being fatalistic and dumbly going along with God's will for her life? Not at all. She is responding to the word of the Lord as a true, as an obedient disciple. Mary knows that her calling in life is to serve the Lord. She submits herself to doing what he commanded her. Do we respond to the Lord's word in that way, beloved? The Lord wants every one of us here to commit him or herself to his service, to be disciples, 
followers of Jesus Christ. He wants us to take up our cross and follow him. Boys and girls, Jesus wants you to love and serve him. Are we willing to take Mary's lips, Mary's words on our lips and to respond to God's call by saying, I am the Lord's slave. I will deny my own will. I will do what my master commands me. To do that, we need to know who Jesus is and what he has done for us. In his announcement to Mary, Gabriel reveals that Jesus is the son of the most high God. Although he was in very nature God, he was willing to humble himself to take on our flesh and blood. Jesus took on the very nature of a servant. We know that he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He did that to save us from our sins, to restore us to righteousness and life. He came as Israel's Messiah, as our Savior and King. Beloved, out of thankfulness for the grace shown us in Jesus Christ, we're called to respond with a living faith to believe the gospel message that Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, to acknowledge that Jesus is our Savior and our Lord. It's through a living faith in the Savior Jesus Christ that God grants us his gifts, the forgiveness of our sins, righteousness, and everlasting life. It's by humble submission to Christ as our Lord that we may share in the peace and joy that God gives to all who are part of his family. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message by rising and singing together from Psalm 89, stanzas 1, 2, and 3.